Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Wednesday, January 24th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I am speaking today with Knesset correspondent Sam Sokol and reporter Gabriel Fisk. Good morning. How do you both? Morning. Good morning. It's day 110 of the war. Funerals are ongoing for the 21 soldiers killed Monday in the deadliest incident for IDF soldiers since the Gaza war began. There are stories emerging about them. They range from the son of a Filipino foreign worker, an elementary school teacher who was injured in Gaza in 2014, a Bedouin Israeli from Rahat, an immigrant from Colombia who tutored foster children, and many others. Today, Wednesday, has been declared a day of rage by those calling for a deal to bring the remaining hostages home. There are talks ongoing between Hamas and Israel, but there is a stalemate with regards to the temporary ceasefire that is demanded by Hamas, and there are no answers yet as to what will bring about a permanent end to the war. We will talk about what happened in the Knesset over the last couple of days with regard to the hostages, as well as bereaved Israelis looking for some solace, this time in Cyprus. All of that after a quick break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachuk Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.sarachechlawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Okay, Sam, it's only Wednesday and it's been a very tense week in the Knesset. On Monday, family members of hostages burst into a session of the Knesset Finance Committee. Yesterday, released hostages and family members testified to the new Knesset caucus for victims of sexual and gender violence in the war uh, with their own testimony, with their own stories of what they saw and experienced during their time in captivity in Gaza. Start us off with the beginning of the week and what you saw and heard around the Knesset. Yeah, um, it started on Monday morning, just walking up to the building. There were dozens of protesters, many of them elderly, uh, blocking the entrance to the Knesset, uh, laying on the ground with their arms linked. Uh, While I stood there and watched, the police uh, dragged them off one by one. One protester, an older man with a cane, was lifted by four policemen, each holding one limb, uh, while his body hung in the middle, and he was screaming in pain. They had to put him down. It was, you know, a very tense, uh, tense moment. And getting into the Knesset, as soon as I sat down at my desk just to look through the uh, Knesset schedule for the day again, uh, I immediately get a message that protesters had broken into the uh, finance committee. Uh, What had happened was relatives of the hostages had 
had burst in, uh, protesting, essentially saying we will not allow there to be any sort of routine uh, for you to go about your business while we're being forgotten. They accused the government of forgetting the hostages. Uh, they yelled and protested throughout the committee room while guards tried to uh, remove them. And protesters that I uh, spoke with basically said that they felt completely abandoned by the government. Uh, they were screaming in there, no, we're not going to let you sit here while our children die. I spoke to uh, a couple of protesters who essentially said, you know, why are we allowing food and humanitarian aid into Gaza while our own relatives are being mistreated and starved? And at the same time, you know, one, one protester told me he wants two, what he called two slightly contradictory things, which is one, cut off all humanitarian aid to Gaza, to negotiate a hostage deal involving a secession of hostilities. So, you know, I don't know what the right policy is. That's not my job to, to say what the right policy is. But I can tell you that the families of the hostages are increasingly feeling like they are, like their issue, which is a life and death issue in the most literal sense, is not being taken care of. Right. Uh, I, I know that, as I mentioned, that today is uh, a day of rage, and actually the events that will be taking place over the course of the day have not necessarily been announced yet. But there is this, as you're describing it, this sense of increasingly rising tension. Um, the tension has already risen, really, um, as the families of the hostages feel like, as you mentioned, we, we've been abandoned, there's no deal, there's talk of a deal, we all know that that takes a long time, and meanwhile then there's the ongoing conflict in Gaza, the war in Gaza, which brings obviously its own set of tensions and concerns and worries and outcomes. So it's hard to really say, as you mentioned, it's really hard to say what makes sense. And then yesterday uh, there was the testimony of this new caucus for victims of sexual and gender violence. I know that Aviva Siegel, released hostage, spoke there, uh, as did Chen Goldstein Amog. They're both released hostages. They both saw and were with other young female hostages who were being violated, as they have told. What can you tell us about that? Well, you know, the impression I got was largely that a large part of the uh, the feeling of pressure on the on the families to get their relatives out as quick as possible, aside from the obvious horror of being held hostage, was the sexual abuse that many people are going through. Uh, you know, survivors uh, of October seventh, uh, former hostages who testified before the hearing, basically said both men and women are being sexually violated. Uh, Aviva Siegel said that the terrorists bring inappropriate clothes, clothes for dolls, and turn the girls into their dolls, dolls on a string with which you can do whatever you want whenever you want. Meanwhile, Aviva's daughter said that they're basically sitting there in captivity, and she said, quote, right now there is someone being raped in a tunnel, end quote. This is really, really horrific stuff. Uh, another uh, former hostage, Chaim Goldstein Almog, said that she saw that uh, some of the women who are being held uh, hostage by Hamas have stopped getting their periods, uh, something that she called uh, the body's way of defending itself so they don't uh, get pregnant while being raped in captivity. I mean, this is, you know, stuff that's incredibly hard to hear and incredibly difficult. Uh, what they're going through is 
you know, beyond description. You were not in the room at the time, but what was the, the tone in the room? Is it silent? Are people listening carefully to what these released hostages are saying? What could you gain from just hearing and reading about the testimony? Look, I mean, uh, people are horrified by what's going on. Lawmakers are horrified by what's going on. Uh, one of the uh, one of the MKs who helped to organize the hearing and is responsible for this uh, for this caucus, uh, MK Shelley Tom Marone, said this is potentially only the beginning of the uh, discussions. One of the organizers, MK Shelley Tom Marone from Yeshatid, said that this is only the beginning of the discussions on the issue. That if we don't manage to get the hostages out soon. Uh, the Knesset could soon be holding discussions on abortions for hostages, on talks with the rabbinate about the religion of the babies, about the legal standing of the babies. You know, and she argued it's imperative to prevent this. There's also been, I think it's important to mention, some harsh criticism by female lawmakers of how the government is assisting Israelis who were sexually assaulted on October 7th. Uh, earlier this month, uh, MK Yapnina Tamanushata who's the chair of the Knesset Committee on the Status of Women and Gender Equality, basically uh, alleged that the various agencies tasked with handling this issue are failing to coordinate. And M.K. Merav Ben-Ari, in the middle of that hearing, uh, actually called the National Resilience Center's hotline and was kept waiting for 12 and a half minutes before being hung up on. So, you know, I think there's uh, a feeling that... This issue really has not been handled as well as it could be, and that these women who are still who have gotten out need proper treatment, and the ones who are still there need to be rescued as fast as possible. Right. Okay. Thanks for that, Sam. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the treatment that's going on for certainly for those who are bereaved uh, with Gabrielle after a quick break. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. Now, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privilege to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. Gabrielle, you were in Cyprus over the weekend for a couple of days reporting on how bereaved Israelis who were brought there to, I believe, the forests of Cyprus, the mountains of Cyprus, uh, helping them find solace right now. Tell us, tell us where you were and who you talked to and what you found. Right. Well, it was a very intense uh, weekend. Um, it was a group of about 20 bereaved parents, 10 couples, 
Um, all of all had sons who were killed either on October seventh or afterwards. Who were their sons were serving in the IDF at the time, and it was at a holistic retreat center called the Secret Forest, which since the beginning of the war they sort of taken this hand of bringing different groups there for these sort of holistic retreats, health retreats. Um, they started with survivors of the Nova Party, and they've had more than a thousand people since since October. They've had more than a thousand people do these subsidized retreats. First, they were paying for it, and then they got various organizations, and they started taking contributions. This particular one of the bereaved parents was sponsored by Yad Lebanim, which is an Israeli organization uh, which takes care of bereaved families whose sons were soldiers. The Secret Forest there has an ongoing holistic treatment facility of all these different massages and acupuncture and yoga and a spa and all these kind of things. Healthy food. Uh, it's a kosher facility, very Israeli place. But in particular, so the group was accompanied by two psychologists on the trip. They came with Israel, and they also had a volunteer from Yad Lebanim who was with them, who sort of sort of guided them. And so half of it was they were just there being taken care of, meals, they didn't have to worry about anything, and just looking at the view and going into the jacuzzi and that kind of thing. But half of it, they had uh, group treatment therapy sessions twice a day um, with these psychologists, therapists who came with them specifically. Um, and I didn't attend those sessions, but I talked to the therapists and to the participants. They were quite open in, in welcoming me and talking with me, I have to say. Um, and they were in a very emotional and vulnerable place, a lot of them. The main takeaways that I got from them was this sort of group bonding. You know, a lot of them felt that they were they're going through a horrible traumatic experience and they had no one, they had this experience of meeting peers or meeting people who were going through a similar thing and they don't, you know, they were able to open up and to express themselves and they, they, they were able to find this common ground that they can't find. One of them told me that in their home community, you know, they get stared at and people don't know how to talk with them. Their son had been killed fighting in Gaza and, you know, it takes a lot of strength to explain everything and to, to talk to them again. So here, they were able to just be free and, you know, there was a lot of laughing, a lot of crying, there was a lot of partying too, you know, there was Shabbat, I was there for Shabbat and there was, it was there's a little bit of festivities that they were able to get back to. One of the, at the, the very end of the retreat, Saturday night, they had a long sing-along, you know, so they started to sing along and they started to have a group singing of all these Israeli songs. The last one was Uf Guzal, uh, Fly Fledgling. Which is a classic song about the the you, when your when your children leave the house, and that was really emotional. They were like singing at the top of their lungs and also crying and really letting go. And one of the therapists later told me that that was a really important moment. That not only the sort of regularity of being with a group of friends and being on vacation and singing and and sort of partying a little bit, but also the emotionality of being able to express it all together. I mean, there was so much happened. It was like a packed two or three days. Why here? Why Cyprus? Right. So, so the place, the secret forest, is run by an Israeli-owned hospitality group. Um, there's a principal person whose name is Yoni Kahana, who's a Chabadnik. He's from a Chabad family, a young guy. And he has worked in hospitality, kosher hospitality in Cyprus for a long time. Uh, it's extremely beautiful. It's extremely isolated up in the mountains. Orange groves, views, there's no, it's very unspoiled area in a little village, a classic village. There's the villagers are pretty well off and they own the facility, which the Israeli group has a very long-term lease on right now. 
And they transformed it into this sort of, he told me, I interviewed him, Yoni Kahana, he said that he'd worked in kosher hospitality for a long time and he wanted to do something different, something that's more holistic and people could sort of get away and meet themselves and have a different kind of experience. He specifically said it wasn't a hotel, um, even though you have rooms and checkout. Um, there's no children allowed there, like it's not for families. Um, he also wants to build, he said he's going to build like a detox center for drug treatments and people who want to detox to have a separate facility with certain food. People would come for a week to do a detox, that kind of thing. So it's a very interesting, you know, there's like Beit Knesset there, a synagogue. There was prayers and all this stuff. And right next to it is a 300-year-old stone church, the one, this old village church that is still maintained by the locals. And it's full of all these icons. And so it's a very much a kind of a synthesis there. In some ways, a lot of the Israeli staff at the place rent houses in the village. And so it, it's an interesting place. And I imagine it feels very far from the trauma and uh, the tensions that are definitely very present here from day to day on day 100 and what did I say? Day 110 of the war. I imagine it feels far away in the best way possible. It does feel far. It's not that far away. I mean, it's the closest country you can go to, right? Of easy flight and then a bus ride. But it does feel very far away on one hand. And the other hand there, it was such an Israeli environment. People talked about it a lot, that it's you're sort of wrapped around. There's a bookshelf in Hebrew and kosher food and this. And, you know, while we were there, there's a group of people who were there studying Tanya, which is the Chabad, uh, the Chabad central text of Chabad Hasidut, Hasidic thought. And they were just there you know, so it was a very Israeli bubble in this particular location, but you did feel very, you know, it's very relaxed there. The air is very clean. There's no tall buildings. Um, and also walking around the village there, people walked around with their kippahs and everything and the locals, everyone, there's a bit of a sort of Israeli Cypriot synthesis going on there because of the operation, because of what's going on there. Okay. Thanks, Gabriel. Thanks for that. Uh, and thanks to both of you, Sam and Gabrielle, for being with me on today's Daily Briefing. It's been good to see your faces. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening to the Times of Israel Daily Briefing. We will be back tomorrow with another installment. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have comments about this or other episodes, you can always drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. And of course, always feel free to recommend us to other listeners wherever you find your podcasts. Until next time, take care and be well.